<laughs> Good morning. My name is Susan. Our text today is from Luke 8, 4 through 15. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told them this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still, other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to others I speak in parables, so that, though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in time of testing they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on the good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart, who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. Thank you, Susan. Good morning, everybody. Hey, uh, before I say anything else, kids, you are dismissed as well. You can go to your classrooms. You can go to peanut gallery we have today. So head on out if you're going to do that. Uh, hey, thank you too to uh, thank you to the Vianas. That was a really that was a really sweet and cute announcement. I appreciate that. Um, I'm really looking forward to being in Mozambique again. The idea was to be there in 2020. Of course, that didn't happen. Many things didn't happen in 2020, so uh, really stoked to be back there and uh, be able to be with our pastors and do some teaching. Really looking forward to that. Uh, I, sh I do feel like I should clarify, in terms of them spending big bucks to get the speaker that they wanted, that, that part didn't actually happen. This is, this is, uh, uh, there's no fee involved. So anyway, just uh, really glad to be with them over there. So blessings on you guys in Mo's this morning, too or this evening for you. Uh, we're starting a new series today. So we're starting a series on the stories that Jesus told, the parables of Jesus. And if you're very familiar with the Gospels, with Christianity, you may know this was the primary way that Jesus taught about what God was like and the world was like and the kingdom of heaven, what it looks like when God reigns in the world, when things are happening the way they should. And parables, these stories with a point, these were the main vehicle that Jesus would use in his teaching. Uh, we're going to be going through these, uh, actually, the remainder of spring and all through summer. So uh, we'll be in the parables for a while. There's about 40 parables all total. We won't be doing all of them, uh, but we'll be doing a, a bunch. And uh, it's, it's interesting. Not all of the Gospels 
tell all of the parables. They're kind of spread out amongst them, particularly among Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But there's one parable that is in all the Gospels that, that use parables, and, uh, and it's always the first one, uh, whenever it's listed. And it's the one we're doing today. It's the parable of the soils. And this parable is presented as sort of the linchpin. It's kind of the Rosetta Stone for the other parables, if you will. And in fact, you heard as Susan was reading this, uh, Jesus says, if you don't understand this parable, it's going to be very difficult to understand any of the parables. So this really is a key one for us, the parable of the soils. And the, um, uh, the question that really this parable raises is the question of how does a person grow? How does a person grow? And, and by that, when we're talking about growth, understand this broadly, right? We're talking about spiritual growth, yes, but understand that in a, in a kingdom perspective, from a biblical viewpoint, this growth affects all of life. When we're talking about spiritual growth, we're really talking about human flourishing in every area. And it, it works like this. If you are growing spiritually, if you are becoming more like Jesus, then everything is going to be touched by that, right? Uh, if you think about the social dimension of your life, the quality of your family relationships is going to be directly impacted by this. The way that you are able to do friendship with others is going to be directly impacted by this. If you're married or if you're dating, any romantic relationships, I mean, all of these are going to be affected by the way that God is working in you and how you are becoming more Christ-like. Uh, when we think about maybe our emotional health, right? Becoming a person who's sturdy, right? Who can weather the storms that come, that's related to this. Uh, being a, a person who's just able to be clear and to think well and to regulate their emotions well, that's connected to this too. Uh, issues of character, right? Growing into a person who is able to be loving to others. Growing into a person who has joy even when it's difficult to have joy. Growing in patience. All of these things, these are connected to this whole matter of our growth, our spiritual growth, flourishing. Jesus put it this way. The way he summed this up is he said, I have come that you would have life and that you would have it more abundantly. The abundant life, flourishing in every way. This comes as we grow in our knowledge of and our transformation into the likeness of Christ. And that's what this parable is about. It's about how we grow. And Jesus, in this parable, he begins by pointing out three barriers, uh, three heart postures that prevent us from growing, that stunt us in our growth. And they're common. They're ones that each of us will easily relate to. And then he gives a, a fourth example, too, a final posture that if we, if we live into that well, it will reliably lead to growth in our lives. So this, uh, this is a key one for us. Uh, let's, uh, let's pray together, and we'll, uh, we'll dig into the scripture. Uh, Father, this morning we come before you with hearts that are ready. Uh, we pray, God, as uh, the words of this parable say, that we would be those who have ears to hear. And God, we pray that as we come together to worship this morning, that you would really be glorified as we receive from your word, as we receive communion, as we sing, as we pray, as we enjoy fellowship with each other. 
We pray, God, that you would be glorified, that we would be strengthened, and that each of us, no matter where we're at with you, would be drawn closer. Lord, we look to you for this, and we trust you for it. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. So in, uh, in the text that we just read, there's, there's a line in particular I want you to take note of. And it's something that Jesus says here, and he says it often. He says, if you have ears, then hear. Right? If you have ears, then use those to hear. Let them hear if they have ears. And this is a, a really important line for us as we think about this parable and all of the parables. Right? Parables are this invitation to go a little bit deeper. There's stories that Jesus told that reveal a truth, but there's also a sort of subversive element of parables as well. Uh, they reveal things that are very important. But if you're going to get all of the meat out of that particular parable, you, you have to go deeper. They're invitations to keep on going. And in, in this parable, Jesus quotes Isaiah when he's explaining this to his disciples. And he quotes this line from Isaiah chapter 6, where it says that people can be seen and not see. People can be hearing and not understand. And then the parable kind of explains how this works. The ways that we, sometimes we see, sometimes we hear, but we don't see and hear. And the ways that we can, if we have ears, use these to hear and to grow further in him. Jesus says that the seed in this parable is the word of God, and there are four kinds of hearers, four kinds of soil. Uh, the first ones uh, represent people who have ears, but they're not hearing. And the last one, people who have ears, and they are using them to hear. So this is the first. This is, this is a barrier. This is a heart posture that keeps us from growing, even if we're hearing the word. And that is the resistant heart. This is the first one that Jesus identifies. This for him, this is the seed that falls on the path. And he says it gets walked on and birds come in and they swoop and they eat the seed. He says this is what the seed stands for. Verse 12. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. The resistant heart. Uh, so I have a lawn in front of my house, sort of. Some of you have seen it. Some of you have been to our house. We have a lawn that's like the size of a postage stamp. Very, very small. Many times, because I don't really enjoy mowing the lawn, many times through the years I thought, you know, I'm going to bite the bullet, and we're going to get a gardener, they're going to take care of this. And then I go outside and I look at the lawn, and I'm like, dude, come on. It's this big. I can mow this lawn. I should, I'm just going to suck it up. I'll be the guy who does the thing. So we've got this lawn. And in our efforts to take care of the lawn, sometimes every year or two we have to reseed a little bit, yeah? You go out there, you toss some grass seed around, you do the things that it says on the back of the package you're supposed to do to get the seed to do what the seed is going to do. But when I'm doing this, inevitably some of the seed doesn't get on the lawn, some of it goes onto the sidewalk. And the seed that gets onto the sidewalk, does any of it grow? Obviously not, right? It is im impenetrable. Impen it cannot be penetrated. <laughs> it is hard as concrete because it literally is concrete. 
And intuitively, we don't have to be farmers to know when the seed goes there, nothing happens, right? It goes away as quickly as it hits the ground. The wind comes and just you know, pushes it aside. My sprinklers come on and it washes it into the gutter. Uh, dog walkers come by and it gets on their shoes and on the paws of their dogs. That seed is gone. It is not going to grow at all. Uh, Jesus. Jesus says that sometimes our hearts can be like that concrete. Our hearts can be utterly resistant. We hear a word from God and it doesn't penetrate. It just doesn't get in there at all. And when we talk about hearing a word from God, uh, we're, of course, thinking primarily about the scriptures, but also the way that God, by his spirit, works in us to receive those words as they come. So it, it could be that you're in, in your devotional time in the morning or in the evening, and, and you're reading the scriptures, and there's a word. And, and the Holy Spirit is there kind of poking at you, being like, hey, 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 this one, pay attention. This is where you're at. Or it could be something that you hear in your small group, you know, a word that's shared there, or something that's read in the context of that group together. Or it could be something on a Sunday. Or, or it could be something that you're in conversation with a friend and they say something and, you know, God is speaking to you through that. Or it could be the, the little notification, that verse of the day that pops up in your Bible app on your phone if you have that feature. But whatever it is, when that word comes, Jesus says we can get ourselves into a heart posture we're, we're just totally resistant. Our hearts are like concrete. And that word, that seed, it's gone in a flash. Satan seizes the opportunity to, to swoop in and to take that, and it never puts down any kind of roots at all. And friends, here's the thing with the resistant heart. If, if you and I are being really honest, we would have to say that there are times when our hearts don't want to hear it. We have ears, but they are not turned on because they don't want to be. We don't want to hear it, and so we don't. Uh, we don't want it to be true, or it's too inconvenient of a truth for us to embrace. It's going to involve too much disruption in life as we know it and we like it. So we take that word and we hold it at arm's length and we don't let it penetrate the soil of our hearts. Uh, some of my, uh, my favorite books in the Bible are sometimes called the pastoral epistles. It's, there's three of them. And it's the Apostle Paul and he's writing to his young protégés who are, are pastors and evangelists and uh, church planners in these various places, these young protégés, Timothy and Titus. And these books are all about how to lead, how to shepherd the folks that God has granted them. And listen to what he says about this. It's very much about this resistant heart. But listen to what he says in this one context. It's 2 Timothy 4. It says, preach the word of God. Be prepared, whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth 
and chase after myths. Uh, it's, this is quite an indictment, isn't it? Uh, he's talking here about the resistant heart. I hear the word, and I don't like it. And so I close the ears. I'm going to go with my desires instead, and then I'm going to go a step further. I'm going to find teachers who will tell me that what I want to believe is the thing that's actually true, instead of the thing that is true. And I, I read this and go, man, did Paul know about Google? You know, this is, this is just so prescient. This is such a temptation for us today, friends. Uh, and of, of course, the phenomenon isn't new. It's what Jesus spoke about. It's what's what Paul talked about, but man, it is so easy today when we want to be lied to, to enable ourselves to be lied to. Uh, we live in a space where whatever the thing is that you want Christianity to teach, Google it, and you will find a teacher who is ready to give that to you. If you want a muscular version of Christianity where uh, you can do whatever is needed to fight the culture wars and to win. Go online, you will find somebody to say, yep, there you go. The ends justify the means. Do what you got to do. You want to revise a Christian sexual ethic and make it more favorable to your taste? No problem. We've got YouTube for that. You can go on there. You can find somebody who is going to teach you whatever it is, whatever tweak you want, it will be there. You want to strengthen the case that you hold in your own head and heart that immigrants are ruining America, or conversely, that immigrants are saving America, go on Amazon. You will find a plethora of books advocating either side of that. And this is our dilemma. Our hearts, as we hear Jesus in this parable, our hearts, our own sinful nature, want to move us to a place where we get to believe what we want to believe. And our culture stands ready to reinforce that if we are looking to have it reinforced. Friends, the question that we bring to a word from God, the question isn't how can I get it to say what I want it to say? The question is what does the Bible teach? That's the question we have to honestly pursue. What is it that the Bible teaches? And pray for the grace of God to give us ears to hear it, a heart that's courageous enough to receive it, soil that will say yes to whatever it is that God points us towards. And it's, it's a good question to ask this morning, friends. Is your heart open to that? When I hear the word of God, am I ready to receive it as the word of God and respond accordingly? That's the first barrier, Jesus says. It's the resistant heart. Uh, the second one in this parable, the second barrier is the shallow heart. This is the seed that fell on rocky soil. And unlike the path, there's some soil there. There's something for that seed to get into but the soil is rocky. So the seed gets in there, the plant sprouts up, but then Jesus says when the sun hits it, it withers because it's shallow. It couldn't put down good roots, couldn't drink in the moisture from the soil, and so when the sun comes up, that plant is done. 
And Jesus says, this is the meaning. He says, those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. In some ways, this is, this is kind of the opposite of the resistant heart, right? This is a heart that's super receptive, receives the word of God with joy. Yes, great word, best word ever, takes it in. But that's as far as it goes. Nothing further happens because the seed isn't able to put down roots. When the heat is on, or as Jesus puts it here, in the time of testing, or one of the other gospels says, in the time of trouble or the time of persecution. In other words, whenever outside pressure comes, the plant dies, the person falls away. That, that seed is not able to grow. Back to my uh, postage stamp of a lawn. So, the lawn, little lawn, it's also on a slope. Uh, our, our lawn is parallel to the driveway and it kind of runs down towards the house. Some of you have seen this, you know what it looks like. But there's a slope there and so the water, when we water the lawn, the water all kind of rolls down towards the house too. And down, down just right before it it, uh, the grass hits my garage, there's a little tiny concrete strip, about four inches wide, that separates the lawn from the house. <clears throat> and, um, and because the water runs down the hill and whatnot, we'll sometimes get a little tiny layer of soil along this concrete strip, like super, super thin, quarter inch, maybe half an inch, if I've been lazy and I haven't been out there in a while, right? But super, super small. And inevitably, some grass seed will end up along that strip too, and it'll plant itself in the soil. And it ends up being the most beautiful grass in the yard, right? Because all the water rolls downhill, and so this grass gets, gets like extra watered, and it, it gets tall, and it's lush, and it's got that really nice grassy smell, you know, and the grass is really healthy and wonderful. It's all right there, except you look at this grass, and it goes away. It is so weak because the, the soil is so, so shallow, right? You know how if, if you have a lawn, you go out to your lawn, you grab a handful of grass, you pull on it, like it, it doesn't go anywhere, even though it's grass. Grass is not strong, but when it's rooted, man, it's in there. But this grass on the shallow little thin layer of soil, you just give it a tiniest tug. And not only does all the grass come up, but all the soil too. Uh, you can go out there with a broom and just brush it away. That's how weak it is. Or if I run the lawnmower over it, it doesn't even like cut the grass, it vacuums the grass. It all just gets sucked straight up and it's gone. That's the shallow soil. Jesus is saying this is another heart posture that we sometimes have when we receive a word from God. We are like the shallow soil where there is no sturdiness to us at all because there is no rootedness. Uh, we haven't been able to have, uh, have that seed get in there deep enough that it's able to really take roots. Uh, and friends, the lesson here for us, the lesson here is this. You are only as strong as your roots are You and I can be like that grass where at first glance, it looks great. 
It is green and it's tall and it's lush and it smells delicious. But there's nothing there. As soon as it encounters resistance, it's gone. This is another one of those areas which has gotten so difficult for us uh, and will continue to get more difficult in the years to come, I'm quite sure. Uh, but um, it, it manifests a couple ways. In one way, our, our culture has become much more secular than it was even 10 years ago, even 20 years ago. Uh, and our culture has gone, when you look back over, say, the last century, it's gone from being tilted towards a Christian view of the world, where there is really a cultural advantage in being Christian, and you're almost ashamed not to be a Christian or not to attend church. And it's moved from that for several decades into a space where it was kind of an, an open market, if you will, a marketplace of competing ideas, and Christian, Christianity was one of the voices that was competing in that marketplace. And, most recently, even just in the last couple of decades, uh, increasingly, uh, Christian teaching is not considered an equal in the marketplace at all. It's sometimes considered a danger uh, to a, the secular utopia that some would want to establish. Uh, and that means, as intolerance towards Christians and Christianity grows, that more and more we're going to have the sun hitting us. There's going to be that pressure. Christianity is increasingly going to be costly for those who adhere to it. And this, this is tough for us. Uh, most Christians around the world are used to this. This is just what it means to be Christian. Uh, for those of us who have been reared in Christianity in this part of the world, we're not used to it. And we don't have the muscles for it. Uh, and of course, it's, it's not just that one side, it's not just the secular pressure. Uh, for some, there's, there's also a whole set of religious pressures as well. It, I hope you don't experience in this space, but you know, maybe in your family or other contexts where Christian faith comes with a whole set of assumptions about what it means to live Christianly. Assumptions about manhood and womanhood, assumptions about certain do's and don'ts in our behavior, assumptions about what sins are really important and we need to give attention to those and what sins we can kind of turn a blind eye to. Uh, and, and very few of these actually rooted in the scriptures. These are cultural assumptions about what a Christian should be. But this is a source of pressures too. And if we aren't rooted, the word of God can't grow. If we aren't in a place where we are putting down roots. Uh, one of my favorite authors is uh, a woman named Tish Harrison Warren. Uh, she is an Anglican pastor on the East Coast. And prior to that, she was, uh, she was a campus minister with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship at Vanderbilt University. And uh, while she was on that campus, that campus underwent a shift that's happened uh, hundreds of times, actually, since then. They're not the only ones. but. Uh, the, the university chapter there felt like they really fit the context of that particular school. Uh, it's, it's a pretty elite school, and, and they, were, you know, they were very well-educated themselves, went to elite schools, uh, saw themselves as being kind of hip and sophisticated, uh, went to art shows, drank craft beer, 
valued honest dialogue, taught about racial justice and creation care and uh, all the things that should have put them in the good graces of the university there. Uh, but the administration ended up passing a policy uh, where they said that for any group on campus, in particular uh, Christian groups were the ones that were targeted by this, uh, they had to drop the requirement that student leaders adhere to their doctrinal statement and purpose. Uh, that it had to be open to anybody. And, um, you know, the, the leadership, Tish among them, they went to the, the president of the university and, and said, wait, 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 I, I don't think you understand us. We're a totally open group. Anybody can be part of this. You don't have to be Christian. You don't have to believe what we believe. Anybody can be part of it. It's just the leadership that we want to adhere to Christian faith and adhere to Christian standards. And, uh, and the university said, no, you can't do it. And they, they shut them down. And this subsequently happened on, uh, on hundreds of other college campuses as well. And it's been, been a, a thing working its way through the courts ever since. But her conclusion in this is she writes about it. And she said, you know, we thought all along we were the right kind of Christians. That if we were Christian in this sort of, what they saw being sort of a non-obnoxious way, that they would be received and accepted by the culture around them. And they came to find out, no. Sometimes just being Christian makes you the wrong kind of Christian. And for her and many others who've kind of followed these things as they've gone, it was a really helpful ministry experience for her. Uh, a reminder that Conforming to culture is not the best way to reach culture. But following Christ, even when that bumps up against culture in ways that are painful, is not only faithful, but it's also the way to reach others also. Again, from the pastoral epistles, 2 Timothy 3.12, Paul says this, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It comes with being Christian. And the message of Jesus, if the seeds of the word of God in us is not planted in something firm, if it's, it's shallow soil, that when that comes, we won't make it through that. So he urges us to something better. Here's the question that we ask here, friends. The question is, am I not just receiving God's word in the moment, whatever that moment is, but am I doing what I need to, to let that seed put down roots? And Jesus, Jesus tells us how. But there's one more barrier, one more uh, heart condition uh, that prevents us from growing. And that's, that's three. That's the distracted heart. This is the one where Jesus says, this is like a farmer when he sows the seeds. The seed finds soil that's good enough to receive the seed and it can start to put down roots, but the seed falls among all these other weeds. And so as the seed grows, the weeds grow along with it too and they choke it out. The plant never grows enough to produce any fruit. And Jesus says this is the meaning. He says, the seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures and they do not mature. Well, this is a tough one, isn't it? Man, so the word, in this instance, the word is heard. It does find soil, but it doesn't grow because there are too many distractions. 
And is this us or what? Man, uh, back to my lawn. So, uh, you all are learning more about my, my yard, I tell you what. Um, <clears throat> but back to my lawn. So, if I manage to keep the seeds off of the sidewalk and keep them on the lawn itself, uh, if I am, am taking care of the shallow soil that accumulates down by the bottom of my lawn, uh, I mean, that's all good, but it's sort of half the battle because my lawn loves to grow weeds, loves it. I don't know why, but they are just ready to pop up and do their thing. And if I don't get out there and pull the weeds out of the lawn on a regular basis, my lawn gets gross. It doesn't matter if I'm watering enough. It doesn't matter if the lawn is getting enough sun. If I don't pull those weeds, they suck the life out of the grass. And the weeds will be green and vibrant, and I'd say beautiful, except that they're weeds. And the grass around them is brown and gross. And I'm thinking, do I need to reseed again? And no, it's not that. I need to pull the weeds. Because the weeds are sucking all the nutrients away from the actual grass. If you and I are going to grow, friends, what Jesus is telling us is we've got to pull the weeds. We've got to take those distractions. We have to take those things that prevent the word of God from growing in our lives, and we have to pull those things out. And listen to how he describes them. This is such an indictment. He says, the weeds for you and I are life's worries, riches, and pleasures. Uh, for those, those of us who deal primarily with first world problems, man, this is us. The problem isn't a lack of hearing. It's not that the word of God isn't there for the taking. It's that we let all this other stuff grow up around it too. Life's worries, life's riches, and pleasures. It's like Jesus is reading our mail. And we worry. We get consumed with how we appear to others. We get consumed with reputation. We get consumed with what we'll do when we get older. We get consumed with if we're doing enough retirement planning. We get consumed with our kids and how they're doing this week. We get consumed with the worries. We chase riches. We don't know how to say enough. We always want more. And to support the more, we work ourselves into an early grave with thin relationships with those we love most because we don't have the time or the energy to give to those because it's been spent elsewhere to feed our spending habit. And pleasures, we distract ourselves with food and drink and Netflix, and we don't allow ourselves to see the things that maybe we should be seeing, because sometimes it's just too difficult. Now, does life sometimes bring worry? Yes, obviously, plenty. Uh, do we need to work and make money? Yep, highly recommended. Uh, is it good? to enjoy life 
and enjoy people and enjoy food and drink and enjoy Netflix. Yes, it is. But these things can also be distractions. They can be weeds that prevent us from hearing and obeying the word of God. I don't know what this looks like for you, but I can tell you a little bit what it looks like for me. Uh, worries, right? I, I know I'm not dealing with my stress well enough when I'm waking up in the middle of the night, which I, I have a tendency to do anyway, but when I wake up and my mind is on that thing, right? That thing that I thought I wasn't really stressed about, but my body tells me otherwise. When I wake up at four in the morning, I'm thinking about that. And it's that reminder for me, okay, I haven't done enough work with Jesus about this because it's haunting me. And it's taking away from his capacity to grow me in the ways that he wants to. We're chasing riches. Um, in, in some ways, you know, the, the choice to go into ministry redirects some of that, but, um, but not entirely. But, uh, but I think in particularly when, when I was in college, and uh, for a hot minute, I was a business major, mostly because I didn't know what I wanted to do, and I just knew I wanted to make money. So I was a business major, I was doing that whole thing until I had to take accounting, and then I was like, what am I doing? And I was out. Um, we switched to psychology real quick. Uh, but during that time, I had a brief stint working in sales. What a disaster that was. Just. Oh, it was so bad for me on every level. I'm a terrible salesperson. It was just eating my soul. But man, I persisted because people around me were making a ton of money. And I wanted that too. And the pleasures of life. How easy just to distract oneself with whatever. To numb out and not think about the things. Now, don't get me wrong, there's, there's, a, there's a place for allowing ourselves to be entertained. There's a place for pleasure. But when that becomes a tool that aids our denial of the things that God is speaking to us about, we impede our own growth. The question, friends, that we need to be asking in this is, am I removing those heart factors that compete with God's word in my life? Am I removing those things? Pull those weeds. Uh, that's the third. The final soil, the final heart posture that Jesus gives to us here is the one that we want to pursue, and it is the good and beautiful heart. In this one, the seed, the word of God, finds good soil, and it thrives, and it yields a crop a hundred times what was sown. And the meaning that Jesus attaches to this, he says, but the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. So the good and noble heart, or uh, that word can, honest, uh, can also be translated honest or beautiful. And so this morning we're going with beautiful because when was the last time somebody told you you had a good and beautiful heart, right? So good and beautiful heart. And what's different about this posture? What's different about this soil? It says this is the person who hears and retains, and then by persevering, or read here, by constant use, uh, 
causes the word of God to be rooted and healthy and to grow. Here's our shorthand for this. If you want to grow, if you want to receive the word of God and have God use it in your life to make you different, then it comes down to this. It's hear it, hold it, do it. Hear it, hold it, do it. Hear it, hold it, do it. A word comes to you. You read in the scriptures or you hear something on the radio or a friend is speaking to you. A word comes to you and you hear it. Your ears are open. And the question again here is, am I receiving this as a word from God? We hear. And friends, ask yourself here, am I intentional in this? Do I create space in my life where I can hear the word of God. Sundays, is this gathering a priority for you? Small group, do you make space to hear the word of God and process it with others? A daily time of devotion, is that part of your life? Are you making space on the regular to hear the word of God? We hear it and we hold it, retain it. We cling to it, is what the, the Greek word there literally means. We cling to this word that we receive. And what we're talking about here is intent. When we hear a word of God, are we intent to actually do something with that? Or are we just going to let it wash away like the grass seed on my sidewalk? Intent. And, and listen, intent by itself is not enough. We need more than intent. Intent. It's, it's necessary, but it's not sufficient. But it is necessary. If we have no intent to hold on to what we hear, then we certainly will not. We won't be able to hold it. And how do you hold a word from God? Uh, well, this tends to be very personal and kind of individual based on how you're wired, but I'll, I'll tell you how it works for me. Uh, for me, in, in my devotional time with God, I, I have a journal. And the main purpose of that journal is just as, as God is revealing something to me, I'm reading something, and it's like, ooh, that word is for me. I write it. Because if I don't write it, I won't remember it. It'll probably be gone by breakfast time. I write it. And just the act of writing it and seeing it written helps me cling to it a little bit more. And it's, it's in print, so I can come back to it and remind myself. Uh, when I'm listening to a sermon, I take notes because that helps me to cling. That helps me to retain. It's part of how I hold it. Uh, when I'm reading a book, I, I underline and I write notes in the margin. And if, if I'm reading on my Kindle, which is what I'm usually doing, I highlight it and I email clips of it to myself so I can look at it later. I write things on post-it notes and I put it on the bathroom mirror and I put it I put it on the speedometer, which I'm not really looking at the speed anyway. I put it on the speedometer. I put it in places where I'm going to see it. Sometimes I commit passages of scripture to memory. This is, this is how I cling. This is how I hold. Some of you I know are, are more external processors. I'm kind of an internal processor. But some of you, like, you're not going to hold it unless you tell somebody else about it. Like, you've got to have a conversation about the thing or you won't remember the thing. But whatever form it takes in your life, we've got to hear it, we've got to hold it. 
We have to make an intentional effort to cling to that word and let it take root. And then doing it, persevering in it. So we, we do the thing and then we do the thing again. We keep on going until it becomes part of us and the doing of that thing, obedience to that particular word of God becomes internalized and becomes part of how we live to the point where you don't even think about it anymore. It's just something that you do because that word has found good soil and it's bearing fruit. A hundred times what's sown. I love that, right? And, and here we kind of defy the principles of horticulture because typically you plant a seed and you get a plant. But Jesus says, no, 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 you do this. You hear it, you hold it, you do it. And it's gonna, it's gonna bear fruit in ways you couldn't even have imagined. A hundredfold this is going to come out. And friends, as we, um, as we respond this morning in worship, uh, I want to give you a couple of questions to consider. As, as we worship, as we pray, we're going to receive communion in a few minutes, and, uh, and we're going to invite you to receive prayer this morning in a few minutes too. And as, as we're doing that, there's a couple questions I want you to sit with as we worship, as we respond this morning. First is this. Is there a word that you've been trying to avoid? Is there a word from God that keeps kind of following you around? And the Spirit is saying, pay attention to this. Pay attention. And you keep holding it off. Is there a word that your heart is resistant to receiving? And if so, will you bring that to Jesus this morning? And just tell him, I'm having a hard time hearing this one, but I want to. Help me to receive it. Second question. Is there an area of pressure? An area where you know God is speaking, but those external pressures around you feel large? And the consequences of following that word have been too great you to really hold it and act on it. Man, if so, bring that to Jesus this morning. Ask him to strengthen your heart, to give you courage to stand when you might not want to stand. And finally, are there areas of distraction where you know in your heart that worries or the chase of riches or pleasure, where those are keeping you from hearing or obeying a word from God. And if so, bring that to God this morning. And it might be that, that as you answer one or more of these questions, this is an area where you want help praying for these things too. And uh, you can name the thing or not, it doesn't matter, God knows, but I want to invite you as we're responding in worship, if you want to be prayed for this morning, we want to do that. We'll be, uh, be doing that in sort of the back corner of the room to my right. Uh, but uh, I want to invite you to come and be prayed for if that's the case. Uh, as we take communion in a few minutes, I want to invite you to confess those places that God's been revealing where you know you're falling short. Confess and receive his grace and the healing that comes as we come to the Lord's table. And as we pray and as we sing, I invite you just to open your heart to God as we do so. Can I have you stand? Let me pray for us.